This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Well, amen, amen, amen. Good to see you guys at church today. It's the last week of our series called Mind Monsters. And if you missed any of them, go back and, you know, watch them on uh, YouTube or listen to them on the Church Center app or anything like that. Today's a difficult topic. And so we probably saved the biggest for last. Um, And you're wondering, Landon, we've already talked about anxiety and depression. (laughs) It's like, but this uh, this one hits home in a different way for, uh, for a lot of us. And today we're talking about trauma. Today we're talking about trauma. It's kind of a buzzword in, in like generations today. Uh, but we're going to define what it actually is. And, I, and this has been <clears throat> weighing on me a little bit this week in a, in a healthy way, not like in a, like a, a crushing way, but just spiritually weighing on me that many of you have endured severe abuse. And that abuse can... It can be emotional, it can be spiritual, it can be mental, it can be physical. You've endured a lot of trials, pain, different types of pain, and certain kinds of heartbreak that maybe you feel like no one else in the room could even get. And you've been left to feel kind of alone in what you're going through, and my heart's been heavy all week long about this stuff. and in the middle of a series, you know, we, we get emails and phone calls and people asking, like, because it brings up, like, I want to get through this. I want to get help. So we've been referring people to lots of different Christian counselors and things like that. And one of the things we're hearing a lot is I've tried everything and it's not working. And they're even saying, like, I've tried the spiritual stuff, not just, like, fixing my diet or exercise. Like, I've tried everything else. And it's just not working. And I get it. I've been there. I've been there. And I'm going to share some more about that today. But we're, we want to talk about what, what God has to say about it. We're going to look at somebody in the Bible today you, I mean, you may not have thought we would look at in the last week. But a lot of people think trauma was a, a painful event. It actually is the response. So trauma is a response to a deeply distressing or disturbing event. And it's, it's our reaction. It's the response to it. And Trauma can be physical, emotional, spiritual, mental. We're going to dig into that a little bit too. But let me say this. The wounds you can't see hurt as much and sometimes more than the ones you can see. As is evidenced by the 15 children just in our school district in two high schools that took their lives last year. We only have two high schools here. I am heartbroken by that fact. And I'm heartbroken that perhaps the way we've run church for so long, just what if, what if we missed it a little bit? Like what if in all the games and the, as an old youth pastor, I love teenagers. I love hanging out with teenagers. They're so much fun. And I don't get anything they talk about anymore. I'm way past trying to figure it out but 
that the devil is such a coward that he would do that to a child. And so it just, that fuels like a holy anger in me (laughs) to God, even if we have to change the way the church looks, even if we have to like change the way we do Wednesday night. So our youth group doesn't do like big worship and lights and fog and all the stuff, snack bars and Xbox rooms and all the stuff that I had. You know what they do? They get together, they might sing a song or two and get together with their leaders. We've got nine people that lead the youth department. And they, they take these kids and let them ask questions about my best friend now thinks she's a boy. What do I do about that? You don't get to ask those questions if you're just getting sweaty, playing chubby bunny, and putting marshmallows in your mouth. Like there, there's a depth because what we, the pain we can't see is powerful and we have to bring it out to where we can see it and deal with it. And so for all of us big kids in the room, we're gonna talk about that a little bit today. Many of you have been deeply wounded and hurt and you might've had someone read this scripture to you or say it to you in the middle of your pain and it didn't help. And it used to make me really mad when people do it to me. It's Romans 8, 28. And we know, and they'd say it in a preachery voice. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love him. But when you're reading that scripture through the lenses of trauma, you're like, what you're going through isn't a big deal. Just wait on, just wait long enough and God will figure it out. That's what you hear. That's because that's what you're seeing. When we're looking at it in those lenses, it used to make me really mad. And I, and I used to get very frustrated. And we're going to dig into that and and I believe it's going to bring some healing to you today because the end of that verse says who's been called according to his purpose everybody say purpose that word purpose is a setting forth it's an intention it's a created design and that verse even though it frustrated me is still true it's a powerful truth and it might not always be helpful in the moment and sometimes well-intended people can cause some problems that's okay I mean we we're, we'll work through that too but we you might be thinking, Lane, it's too soon. Like, I'm still in shock. Like, they're, I'm having a problem with my emotional control. I'm flying off the handle or I'm anxious. I'm numb. I don't feel anything. I feel guilty. I feel shame for what they did to me. So if we just came into church and, and we were just like, hey, everybody, we're just going to pray and we're just going to believe God. Great. Like, you would participate. We would do that together. And that is still true. But there are things that happen in our lives that God has never asked us to ignore. He's asked us to identify. We'll talk about that. So I want to walk into this topic prayerfully. Because today we're talking about three ways, just not all the ways, but three ways to seek healing from trauma. So put your hand over your heart. God would... You do a healing work. You got my whole world in your hands. You got everything in your hands. And so I rest in that truth today as I learn and receive. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You know, a lot of us grew up, thank you, Twinkle Tips. A lot of us grew up in the get over it generation. Who has ever said, uh, who has ever had this said to you, rub some dirt on it? Or or what about, quit crying or I'll, can we just all cry together right now that, 
so sad you even knew the end of that sentence. Quit crying, I'll give you something to cry about. And, and you know, it's just not that bad. Whose moms or dads, you know, I'll give Eagle, it was usually mom. Like, whose moms or dads were like, oh, you really don't like the lunch I packed? There are starving children in Africa. See, you knew. Your mom said the same thing. There's starving children in Africa that have no clue what Iron Kid's bread is. You're like, whoa. Yes, ma'am. You know, you don't just get over trauma. You got to heal from it. And if, there, if there's anything that that generation was trying to teach us, that generation was trying to teach us, stop focusing on yourself all the time. That's not bad. But it goes over the line, and then it turns into ignore the stuff you're going through and just get over it. And now we've swung all the way over to here where everything is trauma. The light turning red when you don't want it to, and you're now traumatized. Someone cuts you off in traffic, you have deep emotional trauma. Someone cuts you off in traffic and they have the wrong politician's bumper sticker, deep trauma. That's not trauma. And so we have to identify what these things are. And you don't just get over it. you got to heal from it. Somebody say, i got to heal from it. So we got to build a foundational understanding of what trauma is. Three types of trauma. Number one is acute, chronic, and complex. Acute trauma chronic trauma and complex trauma. Acute trauma is a response to a one-time traumatic event. It happened one time like a car accident or a natural disaster. You, some of you guys moved here because you went through hurricanes where you came from and you're like, I'm done with that. So I'm just going to move to Hades and, and burn instead of flood. So it's okay. Um, we all had trauma from this summer. Let's just be honest. So it was very hot. But it's a one-time, it's a, it's a, or a complicated birth experience and you're that created some trauma about uh, that next experience. Or you lost a business. You started a business. I've talked to people like this. You started a business in January of tw- uh, 2008. Somebody got the real estate license in February of 2008. Does anybody remember? Everything crashed. Out of a business. They put thousands, tens of thousands of dollars into the for sale signs with their picture on it. Now getting cobwebs in the garage. And, and that's, a, that's a traumatic event. And it goes even deeper than that. You could have been a victim of, of date rape, a, a victim of a physical assault that you, you just are not forgetting. One-time event. It was horrible, and the response to it was traumatic. And the second one is chronic. That's a, a long-term response uh, from prolonged or repeated events. And so for some of you, and this happens in the workforce with adults, you have been bullied. I've seen, some of you guys have been open with me and shown me the text messages from your boss or a coworker. I mean, it's like we're all back in junior high. And, and that's what happens when we, when we all get bigger physically, but our emotions stay in seventh grade. Is we keep hurting people like we did in seventh grade. And, or what about deeper than that? Like some of you have been victims of where you, where you came from. There was some sense of racism in your experience. Or what about you got addicted to pornography at a young age? And that has been this prolonged, repeated event that has turned into something you never thought it could turn into. Or mom or dad or both were alcoholics and you did not feel safe even in your own home. The safest place for a child and there was no safety there. So you got involved with lots of extracurriculars and played every sport they had to offer to stay away from home. 
you were sexually abused, not one time, but multiple times. And we know that statistically, most sexual abuse comes from a family member. And so every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every barbecue, you're reliving that event. And then it happens again. And it happens again. And not just one time, but multiple times. And, and sadly enough, it's usually from someone who should have been protecting you, not abusing you. What about complex trauma? It's a response to multiple ongoing events. So it's like a, it's like a, a combination. Um, maybe you were raised in a home with this. Or you're married to someone with this where lots of stuff has gone down. And it's repeated. And it's, it's very layered. This is where like spiritual abuse from a spiritual leader would fall in. It's not only they did something wrong, but they did it to me. And then I thought they were loving me. And now God's involved. And you don't know where to untangle it. It's like a ball of yarn. You're just trying to figure it out. Um, you move something here and it affects something over here. And you didn't know those things were connected. So a combination of all of these multiple traumatic events, it was either you yourself or someone close to you, and trauma within a person will affect those that are closest to them too. Not to the degree that it affects that person unless it gets violent towards others. Um, or uh, you know, when we get into more psychiatric diagnoses, it, it can affect other people in a deeper way. But whatever level your trauma is in, whether it's acute, chronic, or complex, the truth is, Trauma changes the way you see, bottom line. It changes the way you see things. It changes the way you see people. It changes the way you see God. Now, this is not a big deal in light of everything I just mentioned about alcoholic parents or physical or sexual abuse towards you or, or things with a family member. Like, what I'm about to say to you is not a big deal in comparison, but trauma lesson number one, never compare trauma to anyone else's trauma. That's not healthy for anybody. So if you find somebody in your life that they want to just talk about all of the bad stuff going on, but they're not interested in moving forward and they only want to hear all the bad things that happened to you, that is not helping you. And so in the name of processing it out, you're actually digging the grave deeper. And so you have to have multiple people in your life that are helping you out, people that you trust. And so we're not going to compare trauma, but this is one of the the things that happened to me back in the day. It was 2009, and I was uh, leaving a speaking, speaking engagement in West Texas, and all the highways out there are like drag strips. They're straight because there's no, there's no movement to the land at all. And so you could put a, four, you know, a two by four on your steering wheel and make it all the way to I-10 and never have to turn. It's just straight ahead. So um, I had my crew set on seven, eight, 75, and going down the highway, because I was obeying the law, but going down 75, uh, down the highway, and I had my bag full of burritos from my favorite place in that town, and my dog was with me, because we didn't have kids yet, so we treated our animals like humans back then, and, um, and so they were in the car with me, uh, uh, Jiffy, little Shiba Inu, was in the car with me, which is a great travel buddy, uh, and I had my computer, my MacBook in the back, and we were just in one duffel bag. And it, I was in a little Chrysler Cirrus, which is a Dodge Stratus, same car as a Dodge Stratus. And it was like one of our Dave Ramsey cars. I was just, I knew student loans were coming due, and Sally Mae was about to come down with a vengeance. And like, we didn't have kids yet. And I was like, we could, before we start having kiddos, 
we need to like really dig into getting rid of some of this debt. And, and so uh, we had this ugly little broken car, so ugly. Uh, and for the longest time, I could only get in it from the passenger side. Uh, just, you know, Dave Ramsey car. You just buy whatever can get you to work sometimes. And so that was the car I had. And it got me all the way to West Texas and back. It was like an 800-mile round trip. I was like, cool, this car is awesome. Uh, but what I didn't realize was while I was driving down the highway, there was another gentleman on the other side. Um, and there's a meeting in between two lanes on each side. Um, and he, had, he was crossing the median um, at full speed. Uh, and I T-boned him. I never even hit my brakes. I didn't even see him. Because when you're driving that fast, like, you just... So, I mean, it's not like I could see him coming. I'm like, he looks erratic. Like, it was, he was there. And I tried to open my eyes, and when, and when I did open my eyes, there was, this, there was like wet, it was blood all over my face. My nose had gotten jacked up by the airbag. Those airbags are unforgiving. And, and I couldn't see. And it was about 120 seconds, about two minutes of not being able to see anything. And I was like, I, I hope I'm not blind. And by the time my eyes came to, and of course I was hurting, the seatbelt got me, and my car had spun however many times. All the glass was shattered, um, and I opened my eyes, and I could smell smoke, and I looked, and basically my engine was in my passenger seat, and it was on fire. And right about then, some oil-filled roughnecks kicked open my door and drug me out. Thank God for Halliburton workers who aren't scared to break things and cuss and scream. and, And so these... Guys pulled me out of the car and, and, and took me off to the side where they thought it was safe, you know, about four feet. Uh, and got me, it was further, they got me over there. They're not afraid of fire. Um, and they, they got me over there and then I could come to, I stood up and I was like, nothing's broken. Thank God. Just had some bruises. Nothing was broken. My nose wasn't even broken. It just got busted. Uh, and so the bleeding had stopped. I could see. And we looked over there. His car had rolled however many times. And it was on, you know, it was on top of the roof, and he didn't have a seatbelt on, so he was like crumpled up on the roof of the car, the, seat, the inside of the car. Uh, his car was on fire. So we all ran over there and got him out and drug him out. Um, long story short, you know, he, he was in the country illegally, had four stolen firearms, and the car he had was stolen. And he was completely drunk. And I remember, like, what that did to me when I started driving home. Again, I had to still get home. And so that was the last time I ever owned a car. Because I was like, if, if that's why, you know, I always wanted trucks anyway. So I got rid of my truck and drove that Dave Ramsey car. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm, if I'm going to get in a wreck, they're not going to, they're going to feel like I feel right now in this car. I'm not driving a car. So, and that's why Kelly drives a Suburban. It's the biggest way she cannot feel old. And so that's the safest thing for her is to drive a Suburban. And so I remember how that felt, that every time I was waiting on someone to turn, like you don't realize it, but you, every muscle in your body remembers. It's not even conscious. I'm not sitting there going, hey, there's a guy in the turn lane. All right, muscles, everything tense up, one, two, three. It's subconscious. I would get a pounding headache through my right eyeball because that's where my headache was when I had in that wreck. Um, and neck spasms, all that would start happening. Kelly would be like, do you want me to drive? I'm like, no. I'm fine. 
that changed the way I drive. Now, that might be a funny example, but the whole point is trauma changes you. How you see things, experience things, hear things, feel things, it changes you. Go even deeper than that, in our 20s, uh, Kelly and I were deeply hurt and manipulated and abused by a trusted friend and leader. Uh, and it hurt. It changed me. It changed the way I see people. It changed the way I saw other pastors or spiritual leaders that wanted to just help me. I thought they were trying to hurt me. It changes you. Trauma changes you. And for you, maybe you feel like it's difficult to trust God. Or maybe you grew up with no money. And so you're like, I, I know what the Bible says about tithing, but we will never not have money. And, and you're pinching pennies and, and, and you're just scared to death to not have a certain amount of money. This arbitrary number you've put in your head, that is a safe number for you. And so you can't move forward and go for anything with faith because you're holding on to protection. And I wonder, like, if there's these dysfunctions that have slid over that started with what you felt like was wisdom, but now it's debilitating dysfunction. And maybe something happened to you as a kid or happened to someone else's kid you know, and so now you're helicoptering your kid. And you're, you're scared to death to let them ride their bike anywhere. You're scared to death to even let them play at the park. You're scared, like, you're just, you're worried all the time. And so with all of this going on and trauma and things we've gone through, how do we heal? What does the Bible have to say about that? The Bible has a lot to say about it. And we're going to look at someone you wouldn't have guessed experienced this trauma, and it's Paul. You're like, oh, Landon, come on. Paul is not someone we think of as a trauma victim. He's the apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, some of them from jail. He's a man's man. He's the apostle Paul. He has statues made after him. He's the man. Landon, what are you talking about? He wrote in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's the Marcus Decimus Aurelius of the Bible. Servant to the truth. I'm just kidding. I was just, all those watch gladiators, just stop. See, when I dug into this person this week, I realized that the Apostle Paul not only experienced some things, but it was acute, chronic, and complex. And I want to show you some things because one of the things that I believe that God's going to do is, is going to help us heal by seeing how he healed. And it brought him to a stronger place. So going all the way back to even his conversion to Christianity, his conversion to Christianity was traumatic. Now for me, mine wasn't traumatic. I was in a beautiful church. Michael W. Smith was playing Friends or Friends Forever. My friends were hugging me. We were all crying. There were doves involved. Uh, just kidding, none of that's true. But it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. And I remember meeting Jesus and coming to the altar and people praying for me and me leaving knowing that my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life and I no longer have to pay for my own sin because Jesus paid the penalty for my sin, which was death, with his blood on the cross. I left there knowing that. Paul did not have the same altar call. Paul was riding a donkey and was on the road, was on a road trip. And then a bright light comes out of nowhere, knocks him off his donkey, and he's laying there blind. He's blinded. I'm like, I get you, Paul. But he was blind for three days. He was blinded for three days, gets knocked. And then you thought, you think, well, where did that light come from? Maybe it was a reflection in someone's mirror or whatever. No, no, just donkeys. No mirrors. 
he gets knocked off, it's Jesus. Jesus blinds him and knocks him off his donkey. It doesn't sound like a blessed life to me to start. And I was like, what is going on here? And Paul doesn't hear this beautiful voice saying, I wanted to get your attention, my child. Come home to me. That's how creepy Jesus sounds. You know, it's like, come home, my child. No, what did he hear? Why are you killing me? Can you imagine blind Paul sitting there just busted his face on the pavement? He's like, what are you talking about? Who's there? He said, why are you persecuting me? And at that time, his name was Saul before he was converted, before his name became Paul. He's like, Saul, Saul, why are you killing me? It's one heck of an altar call. Imagine what Paul's thinking. Is this permanent? And, and now he's stuck between cities. He doesn't know how to get home. How, how's he going to get to where he's going? What happened to me? And then that confusion turns into disillusionment. And he literally physically didn't know where to go, much less spiritually or emotionally in that moment. The Christian killer then becomes the Christian preacher. And if you're new to Christianity, I'll tell you, the Apostle Paul was Ph.D.-level Pharisee, one of the big-time leaders of the Jewish, uh, Jewish people, and his job was to kill people or run them out of town that were followers of this liar and apostate Jesus Christ. So he was responsible for murdering tens of thousands of people. So God had to get his attention in a different way. And God's going to do whatever he wants to get our attention and maybe you just even being here is God getting your attention. And the good news about Paul, man, I just, I love the Bible. The good news about Paul is that after he got knocked off his donkey, then he had 20-20 vision. And God gave him a six-figure salary, salary with great benefits and just babes everywhere. Just his life was just incredible. <laughs> that did not happen. His life on paper was awful for the rest of his life. But had it not been for Paul, you and I wouldn't be sitting in a government-owned facility talking about faith. Had it not been for Paul. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. No, for the rest of his life, he endured prolific abuse. Look up on the screen. These are just all the cities that he had to run away from because a mob was chasing him to kill him. These are just, this is just the cities he had to run from to save his life. That's crazy. No one has run you out of the forum because you're a Christian. You have not been in Live Oak and wrote a letter, I had to depart Live Oak because a mob from Target was chasing me through Forum Parkway. I exiled to Selma. They found me there too. I found safe haven in Stone Oak. That doesn't happen. And so we look at, like, what's going on here? We're like, he, he, had to he, he used to go to these places and have people wait on him. The best food. People kissing his ring like he's the pope. And now they're trying to kill him too. Because he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Paul left city after city of them trying to kill him. And he endured severe ongoing trauma. We're going to talk about it a little bit. And he healed from it. So how do we heal? couple of steps to start if you're taking notes. Number one is we process the pain. These are all in scripture. We'll get there. He 
we process the pain of it. We process the pain of our trauma. In order to, to start healing, we got to at least acknowledge it. Some of you feel like there's some days you feel fine and some days you don't feel fine. You're planning to feel fine, but you don't feel fine. Because there's a filter through which you're seeing your life, and you don't even know you're wearing those glasses. But it is creating a vision that is impaired. So we don't heal when we ignore it. We only begin to heal when we identify it. When we say things like, I was abused. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you guys. If y'all want a super pastor that doesn't have problems, I can give you a list. But it won't be here. So I'll tell you part of my story. If that's okay. When I started my journey after, after working for a very manipulative, gaslighting, borderline personality, pseudo-bishop for all of my formative 20s, I then began to figure out, I'm not okay. Like something's, something's not right. I grew up in a great home with great leaders. I had no reason not to trust spiritual leaders. My pastor was my great-grandmother my entire life. The first female pastor in West Texas. The newspaper article of her when she was 92 years old is in my office. I had no reason not to trust people because they made good bacon. And they hugged me and bought me presents. They loved me. And so I, I meet this guy. He saw me coming a mile away. And I, and I, I didn't know that that was the case. And I did not ask for that. But it took three to four times with somebody talking me through, working with pastors who have gone through really niche stuff. And it, it took me three or four times meeting with him for me to stop defending my old pastor. He would say something, I would defend him. He'd say something, I'd defend him. And I finally got to the point where I could say, I was hurt. I was lied to. I was abused. Like it start, you got to start there. Some of you have not said that yet. You've not said that yet. And we also need to acknowledge that real trauma and like real trauma and real abuse do something even to our physical bodies. And, and the way we define trauma now in today's generation is not like when someone corrects you or disagrees with you, now it's trauma. And we have safe places in colleges for people to talk about people who have values. It's foolishness on display. Because it, it almost, in a sense, devalues true trauma that people have gone through. And the reason we want to bury this pain with those of us that have gone through true traumatic events or you know someone who's gone through it, is we feel vulnerable to say it, embarrassed to say it, and we're trusting another human being again with that precious word. That's hard, but that's the first step. So when I meet with people, I'm not a, a counselor, I, and so I, I usually will help people a couple of times and then help them find someone to take them from there, but I... One of the first things we work on is you need to say this out of your mouth. we got to get to the point where you're acknowledging it. And the reason we buried it is because we're, we're afraid, we're vulnerable, we're helpless. And so instead of seeking connection, we prioritize protection. 
And that is part of the devil's plan, isn't it? What we think is wisdom by keeping people out and that wall we've built, there's no gate in it and doesn't let great people in. And so we prioritize protection. And so instead of taking our pain to trusted people, we push them away. But that's not how God created us to heal. In fact, the Bible says in the book of James that we go to God for forgiveness, but we go to people for healing. You cannot heal from these wounds without people. And it is interesting that the very thing that hurt you is still the vehicle for your healing. And for those of you that have been hurt by churches previously, the very thing that was part of your pain before is the very thing that heals you now. It's interesting. There's different people involved. And so we don't heal in isolation. We heal only in community. We heal in community. And so small groups actually start today. Small groups start today. And there's table outside, leaders everywhere. If you have questions, ask anybody um, that's wearing a lanyard or grab me or whatever. We'll help you find a group to start. Because we're not a church with groups. We're a church of groups. Everything we do is small groups. Because it's so powerful when you get around some people. And there's some people in this room that have said, I don't know what I did with my free time before I met all these people. Because my calendar is full like with great people. How bored was I before? It's incredible to see how God can change your life through meeting people. So after service today, make sure you visit the tables and talk to somebody about the groups that are open. There's dozens of groups for you to pick from that start, even some of them start tonight. So if you're new to the faith, there's groups for you. There's freedom groups. If you want to systematically go through a healing process from different things you've walked through before, that one ends with a conference. There's uh, some, like there's a taco group. There's a bunch of men's groups. There's all kinds of groups. But the point is you're finding people to walk through life with. So get in a group today. Don't isolate and ignore the pain because then it gets infected. So Paul actually processes his trauma. Did you know in 2 Corinthians 11, it said he had been in prison too many times to count. Five times he was beaten thir- with 39 lashes. And the reason it was 39, because according to Jewish law, if it was 40, they all get arrested for murder. So they went to 39. Three times beaten with rods. He was stoned, not recreationally, like with rocks. He was shipwrecked. Almost starved to death, not like I'm hungry at second service, no, like starved to death, almost froze to death, and was in danger and ran for his life. We read those. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, and then he's very honest, and he says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we wanted to die. He's just honest, like this hurts, I can't, I just, this, I just think I need to die for this pain to go away. And I want to pause for a moment and say that if you've ever hurt so deeply that you didn't know if you wanted to go on, the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament has been there as well. So what did he do? He talked about it. He processed it. So talk with trusted friends. Get with a staff member. Talk to the pastors. Talk to a Christian counselor that's trained to help you. So get that started. And number two, you've got to press into God at that point. So some of us skip point one and just try to tell God everything and ignore people. That's not how God designed it. What Paul did in 2 Corinthians, what he he said in 2 Corinthians 12 was that he had a thorn that was tormenting him. 
And it's interesting, like obviously it's not a real thorn, not a sticker. Like there was something bothering me. No one knows what it was. Some people think it was a person, which would make sense because the wound was so deep. But something was bothering him. Everybody's got a thorn. Everybody's got a thorn. 2 Corinthians 12, he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He didn't blame the thorn. He didn't blame God for the thorn. He took his heart to God. It wasn't a one-time prayer. It wasn't like Monday morning he was like, God, please take this thorn from me. In Jesus' name, amen. Tuesday morning, God, you didn't do it. I'm asking again. Please take this thorn from me. In Jesus' name, amen. And then Wednesday, God, now I'm really frustrated here. I'm praying, take this thorn from me. In Jesus' name, amen. No, in fact, what most scholars say, these words that were written here, because the original language is so much more beautiful and, and deep than English. English is very limited. And so what one word in Hebrew is two paragraphs in English. So you've got to dig in to what these words mean. It literally meant three full seasons of prayer and fasting, not three tiny American prayers. Three full seasons. Some scholars said it could have been over a year long. Over a one-year period, he would pray and fast and say, God, I can't deal with this anymore. And then he said, he didn't take it away from me. And can I say this? You can unload everything you want to on God. He doesn't get offended by you. And so when my healing began, it was me telling God how angry I was that he let somebody do that to me. What's interesting is that what Kelly and I went through has now become a church that dozens of you have been through spiritual abuse and God brought you here. God knows what he's doing. He's in your tomorrow. He's got the whole world. And I used to be so mad. In fact, it was one of the prayers I was praying, my anger prayers, when I found the church's land. Like, God, why have we had one building after another fall through the cracks. Like, what is going on? Like, it, it just was one of those very open and honest prayers. It took, I was taking that burden to God when I took that new exit called Schwab Road and dumped out at a billboard that is now ours. It was in those moments of being honest that God brought a breakthrough. What are you not telling God that's keeping you from your next step? Be honest with him. Be honest with him. So he tells him, I, I prayed and fasted. I did this. I, and I asked God. I begged God. I pleaded with God to take it from me. But God said to me, and then God speaks up, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And that is why, for Christ's sake, this is Paul again, I delight in weaknesses, in hardships, in insults. I delight in being persecuted. I delight in difficulty. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know what? That mindset can only be pinned by someone who is being healed in the presence of God. So let this sink into your soul. There's nothing you can do to change your past. God is not one time ever trying to do that. But he can heal your broken heart and change your trajectory. 
Because Psalm 34 says he's close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who were crushed. He's close. Somebody say that with your own voice. Say, he's close. Say, he's close. And I'm hesitant to talk about this next one. Because you might hate me for it if you're going through it, like if you're in it, in it. If that wound is still open. But number three is you've got to pursue purpose in that trauma. God never wastes pain. And what I've experienced and what I've seen with folks and even in my life is the deeper the cut, the more powerful the platform for the next season. And God's up to something with that in your life. And the devil wants you to think that you're in this alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. And, and I'll tell you you're not alone. Why do we know you're not alone? Because even if the people in this room became your inner circle, that's enough. And there was a whole other flock of them an hour ago that are here to fight for you and stand with you. The devil would have you believe you're alone. There's purpose in that pain. And you might be thinking, Landon, it's too soon to think about that. Maybe, maybe, um, because if you're hurting, it's hard to see the healing process after that. And it might not, you might feel like it's not for you yet, and that's okay. Sometimes we just got to stop the bleeding. We go to the, the trauma center, we go to the ER, we stop the bleeding, and then we work on the therapy later, the physical therapy later. But there is going to be a point where you're going to be able to take that to God and process it and come out with trusted friends knowing what's going on, and you'll be able to say what Paul said in this next verse, praise be Father, to the Father of compassion and the God of all. What's that next word? Comfort. Who comforts us in all of our troubles. Why? It's for a purpose. So that we can comfort other people in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have already received from God. So you might not see that yet, but this is God's plan. It's not God's plan to remove the thorn. It's God's plan for you to process it and use it to help other people process theirs. If that wasn't how God did it, then he would just be a cosmic genie and we're in his cosmic game of chess and we're just puppets and that's not how God designed the world. There are things that happened to us that were allowed to happen. And I don't know if we'll ever get answers to all of that, to be honest. And if you go to a good counselor, they're not trying to help you figure out why that all happened either. They're trying to help you process. And so I'll just say, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not just a pastor. I'm a people. I'm a people too. And I will tell you that I've been hurt too. And the deepest pain usually comes from people who you're related to. And there, there have just been, since we started the church in January, it'll be nine years. Um, so this time, not at this season, nine years ago, we were gathering equipment and talking to people at Starbucks and saying, do you have a dream in your heart? Let's do it together. And, and since then, Kelly and I have gone through some of the deepest betrayal we've ever experienced. 
And if we hadn't walked through what we walked through before, we would have quit 10 times over. But God knows, God knows tomorrow. He's got the whole world in his hands. It doesn't mean he controls every single element of your every single day. You're a free will being that makes decisions. But he can be involved in your decisions if you let him. And I've been hurt. And many of you sitting in this room right now, you, you're hurt. You're hurting right now. And you're not okay. You're not okay. And can I tell you, let me just tell you straight from my heart, it's okay that you're not okay. It's okay. Do we want you to stay there? No. Does God want you to stay there? No. Do some people try to stay there because they get attention? Yes. Do we want that for you? No. Will we tell you the truth? Yes. Will we help you? Absolutely. Will we resource you? Yes. Will people meet with you? Yes. Are there ways for you to get healing? Absolutely. Some of you have lost relationships. You've lost loved ones. You may have lost your last church. And whatever you feel like you're losing right now, whatever that pain is, I, I wrote this down because I felt like felt like it was from the Lord. I just kind of shut my notes. I sent my sermon notes off to the media team on Tuesday morning and so they could build all the stuff for the screens for you guys and all of, all of the back-end work. And I just kept praying over the notes, though. I was like, something's not. Like, I'm feeling heavy about it. And what I wrote down was, Landon, the heaviness is there on purpose. Stop trying to get rid of it and just let it be there because Sunday is not to get a bunch of amens. Don't just tell them they can heal. Tell them they will be stronger on the other side. So just like you break a bone. I've broken this, or I'm grabbing this one because I've broken both of these bones all the way through before. And when you look at x-rays of my arm now, there's like, it's, there's like two deposits right there. It's stronger than it was before. Now, would you go seeking to break your bones to be stronger? No, that's not the way to go. You don't go find an addiction to have a testimony. You don't break yourself to get stronger. That's not how this works. But that's how God heals our bodies. That's how he heals your emotions. That's how he heals your mind. That's how he heals your marriage. It will be stronger on the other side if you allow God into the process. Be stronger. Knowing he's going to do that. You can't make that happen. He does that. Now let's read Romans 8.28 again. And not in a Christian cliche way. Clichés happen because it's good stuff and people say it a lot. It's like a Switchfoot song. You just need a Caleb to stop. But it was a good song and they killed it. Like it, so it's, but this is a good verse. And we know. Even that word know, if we, we could unpack this verse for 12 months of sermons, just this one verse. But in English, it's one tiny little verse. We know to the depth of the level of knowing that you know that you know that you know. Not just, yeah, I know that. That you know that nothing can convince you of anything different. That's how much you know. That in all things, 
everything, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, the abusive times, the traumatic times, the good times, the mountaintop times, the valley times, in all of it, God is working it out in your tomorrow for good to those who love, deeply love, to the point where you can't convince anyone to love any different. Like this is a deep soul level love, not like I love you. No, I, I am convinced. I, I mean, I love God and no one will ever convince me any different. To those who love God like that and who have been called according to his purpose, not your desires, called according to his purpose, his purpose. And as a pastor, I'm going to push you a little bit. And Kelly and I, our job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So here we go. This is, just, just hear this with the heart that knows I, I love you to death. And your trauma may not have been your fault. But it is absolutely your responsibility to pursue God for healing. And you can be mad about that or you can embrace it. What happened to you was not your fault. And I, and I wrote this because I was so mad at how many thousands of dollars I had to spend having help people help me through this stuff. I was so mad that everything about our financial choices had to change to address this. I was so, I was so mad for so long. You know what getting mad for so long does? You just get tired eventually. You just get tired of being mad. And it is your responsibility. So let me say this. I said it at the end of first service. I'm going to say it right now to you guys. The devil is not taking your next season lightly. So don't take your next season lightly. Get in a small group today. Pick one. And it might take you a couple of weeks to find one you like. You won't like everybody you go to church with. I mean, you can't love them. I'm not asking you all to be best friends. Some of y'all, you'll just tolerate each other. But you can still do things together. It's okay. Go to Growth Track on the 17th. Get onto a team. Why? Not because the church needs stuff. That's not what this is about. Because serving and giving do something for your spirit that nothing else can do. That's why we don't just hire professionals to do everything. We want you to be able to do it. Because it does something to your spirit that connects to heaven that nothing else, no, nothing else can do. So get in a small group, go to Growth Track, and be honest. Be honest. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You get around God's people. And you be honest. And you go full-fledged into it. Get your kids in a next-gen small group. I'm wearing the shirt. Thinking three starts with me. Thinking three generations ahead starts. This is the leader's shirt. They're not for sale. But these, you got to lead a small group to get shirts. All right, so this is thinking three generations ahead starts with me. Like get, get your kid in a group. There are people there that are running those next-gen groups, and there's going to be almost 100 children on Wednesday nights in those groups. Get, and some of them are already full, so get your kid in as fast as you can. Um, just square footage-wise and legally, we have to cap some classes. Safety, things like that, you know. Get your kids in. Do not half-heartedly approach your next season. Because the devil's not going, oh, they're, light, they're lightening up, I'll lighten up. I'll, I'll give them a break. 
No, they're going to run up the score like Texas did yesterday on Rice. That's how this is going to go down. Everybody stand to your feet. While you're standing to your feet, let me say this to you also. No more victim talk. No more victim talk. Stop identifying yourself by what you've been through. We can hurt and we can heal. Because we have a good God, we can have hope. And you won't just get over it. You'll be stronger. You'll be stronger mentally. You'll be stronger emotionally. Things that used to unravel you, you're now addressing objectively. You'll be stronger in your relationships with people because you stepped forward and were honest with another human being. You'll, you'll be stronger. And I promise you, if you give yourself 12 months to pursue everything God is doing through your church, you will not regret it. And I've made that appeal to people. I'm like, if you give your all to this for 12 months and you hate it, I'll give you all your money back. And in nine years, no one's ever asked for a refund. God's up to something. He's up to something. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. Prayer team, go ahead and come down front. Now, I'm just going to push you a little bit more, okay? In a good way. If you're not okay, that's okay. If you're not okay, your first step of honesty is now. I'm not ready, I'm not ready. You will never be ready. It's like saying, uh, we're gonna save a lot of money before we have kids. You'll never have kids. I'm gonna buy a house and I'm ready. You'll never be ready, ready, ready. So you're not gonna be ready right now to say yes to this, but if you are not okay, be honest and raise your hand and say, I'm not okay. Just say, I'm not okay. You're not coming down front or anything. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Raise your hand, thank you, thank you. I see you, I got you, I see you right there. Wow. Hey, you put your hands down. In that moment, it was a very spiritual thing. Hell's back was broken even in that moment. And so even if you were afraid to raise your hand in that moment, we're going into how we end our service. We end it with what we call response time. This is what Kelly and I or anyone else we let up here does. This is not a performance. Uh, this is, we're just the shepherds that take you to good grass and make sure the fences are mended and the wolves are out. And so right now this is a safe place for you to respond. That you can take a step forward and trust these people. Nobody makes it onto the prayer team if we don't like them or if they're not spiritual, or if they're weird, they don't get on this team. So these people know God and they know how to pray. And you can trust them with what you would say to them. Because they, they pray for you every day and they wanna pray for you now. And we have communion on the sides of the room, over here by the speakers. You can take communion, remember the sacrifice of Christ for your life and come receive prayer. Do not leave here. If you raise your hand, do not leave here without having someone pray for you. They're not going to counsel you. They're not going to take forever. They're simply just going to pray in faith and, and pray that you would have courage for those next steps. And then you got to walk out of here and get in a small group. That's your step. 
but let's, can we do this like by the end of the year that we're all just celebrating how beat up the devil is? Wouldn't that be fun? So Father, with everything in us, we come after you. God, we love you. We want you. We need you. And God, in these, these holy moments, we will not um, run from it. We will run into it. That moments like this are a holy moment. That God, we, we are no longer slaves to what has been done to us or what someone said to us about us. We are no longer slaves to the things that were spoken over us. We are children of God, called by God, called according to his purpose, who love God. And we know that all things are working together for good because we are in him and protected by him. So God, in these next seasons of our life, give us courage to push through, courage to stand on both feet, courage to not run away, courage to press in. And God, as we come down and receive prayer and come down and receive communion and remember the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, that we come down and say, I'm ready to make Jesus my Lord and Savior, or I'm not okay, or I need prayer over my marriage, I need prayer over my finances, I need prayer over my physical health. Whatever it is, we put the devil on notice that his hands of control are no longer allowed. And in this moment, Jesus wins. In this moment, heaven wins. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Come down, receive prayer, receive communion, and let the band sing this song over you as we end our service with response. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.